For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Monday, March 15th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Brood X is coming. What you need to know about your soon-to-be neighbors. A new discovery in Spain has led to questions about the true role of women in the Bronze Age. The science behind why, once you pop, the fun just don't stop. And a new app that will purposefully sabotage your Zoom calls. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Brood X is coming. No, it's not a multi-metal band national tour or a dubious vitamin supplement you keep getting ads for. It's the name for one of the largest groups of cicadas set to emerge from underground in over a dozen U.S. states this spring for the first time in 17 years. Although, I suppose, nothing is more metal than being buried alive for 17 years only to re-emerge for a raucous sex frenzy if you don't get eaten by a predator using you as a tasty nutritional supplement. Quoting Science Alert, For about four weeks, wooded and suburban areas will ring with cicadas whistling and buzzing mating calls. After mating, each female will lay hundreds of eggs in pencil-sized tree branches. Then the adult cicadas will die, and once the eggs hatch, new cicada nymphs will fall from the trees and burrow back underground, starting the cycle again. There are perhaps 3,000 to 4,000 species of cicadas around the world, but the 13- and 17-year periodical cicadas of the eastern U.S. appear to be unique in combining long juvenile development times with synchronized mass adult emergences, end quote. And those emergences are loud. Quoting AV Club, the different species of male cicadas make three unique sounds that reach up to a hundred decibels, which is roughly equivalent to the sound of a chainsaw, a lawnmower, or a jet overhead. University of Connecticut Ecology and Evolutionary Biology professor Christine Simon tells the Washington Post that one of the three species sounds like a flying saucer landing from a 1950s science fiction movie. Another, like someone took water and threw it into hot oil, and the last, like an angry squirrel. They'll make these noises before wriggling around in hot bug coitus in trees, on your patio, your porch, your yard, your roof, and your car. End quote. Now, as for when exactly they'll appear above the surface, it varies based on the latitude of each location, but generally speaking, it's whenever the ground reaches above 64 degrees Fahrenheit. The Washington Post has a map of the 200 counties expected to encounter Brood X this spring. The map spans from Illinois to New York and from Michigan down to Georgia. Mike Ropp, a University of Maryland entomologist, says the density of cicadas in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area at the end of May will be as high as one and a half million cicadas per acre. And it's important to note that cicadas, while loud and bothersome, don't bite or sting. 
And even if you don't see the cicadas, you'll probably hear them, or at least see other animals snacking on them. Quoting the Washington Post, Cicadas are a Thanksgiving-like feast for wildlife. As they emerge, birds, squirrels, chipmunks, skunks, ants, raccoons, snakes, frogs, and possums will gorge themselves for about a week until they collapse into food comas. It's very much like when you go to an all-you-can-eat crab feast, says Gay Williams, an entomologist for the Maryland Department of Agriculture. The very first bunch that you throw down on your table, everybody grabs crabs and you start cracking them, and you take every last molecule of crab meat. About the fourth tray, people only take the claws. As this orgy of eating goes on, there are animals that actually won't touch them anymore. They're full. End quote. And that is actually a bit of a defensive measure. Part of why cicadas emerge en masse is to protect themselves from predators. And even if animals are eating them, there's so many of them that the animals can't eat all of them, so then the cicadas are left with tons of survivors. Now, not all cicadas are 17-year cicadas. Some are 13-year, and a small number are annual. This type of periodic cicada goes back 3.9 million years, but about half a million years ago they split off into those three different types. But as for what those cicadas are up to for nearly two decades while underground, quoting the Washington Post, Adult cicadas die after intercourse. Females stick their eggs into the branches of trees, then keel over. The eggs hang out for a while, then hatch, and the nymphs fall to the ground and dig down to a nice tree root which they nibble on for 17 years. End quote. And during those 17 years, they grow, passing through five different juvenile phases before reaching maturity and starting to climb back to the surface. And yes, all of that nibbling on roots is a bit harmful to trees, so experts recommend waiting to plant any saplings this year until after the wave of cicadas has largely passed in July. And if you live in one of the places expected to experience an influx of Brood X cicadas, you can join in in a little citizen scientist project with the app Cicada Safari to help map out where which types of cicadas are spotted. And because when the years start coming, they don't stop coming, the Washington Post notes that Brood 19 is expected in 2024. And climate change can sometimes cause them to emerge early. Some Brood X cicadas emerged in 2017. So really, we are never safe from hordes of cicadas. The tomb of a man and woman buried 3,700 years ago was unearthed several years ago in modern-day Murcia, Spain, and a new analysis published earlier this month in the journal Antiquity posits that some of the objects entombed alongside the couple indicate a possible leadership role of women in early Bronze Age Argaric society. The woman was found wearing several different types of silver jewelry, but most notable among them was a silver diadem, one of only six that has been discovered in tombs and artifacts from this era in southeastern Spain. The man buried with her had a few pieces of gold and silver jewelry himself, as well as a copper dagger, but no sign of any type of crown from him. Quoting the New York Times, they were buried beneath the floor of a great hall, where long benches lined the walls and a podium stood before a hearth meant for warmth and light, not cooking. The space was big enough to hold about 50 people. There have been hundreds of El Argar buildings excavated, and this one is unique. It's quite clearly a building specialized in politics. Cristina Rijuta Herrada, an archaeologist and professor of prehistory at the Autonomous University of Barcelona and one of the discoverers of the burial, said... 
In the El Argar culture, girls were given grave goods at an earlier age than boys were, indicating that they were considered women before boys were considered men. Diadems are exclusively found with women, and their graves hold a richer variety of valuable goods. Some male elite warriors were buried with swords. As for the power structure the two occupied, Dr. Rihute Harada suggests that perhaps they held potency in different realms. The swords could suggest that enforcement of government decisions will be in the hands of men. Maybe women were political rulers, but not alone, she said. She suggests that perhaps the Argarics were similar to the matrilineal Haudenosaunee, known also as the Iroquois, with women holding political and decision-making power, including over matters of chiefdom, war, and justice, but men being in control of the military, end quote. Corinne Free, a research professor in archaeometry at the National Museum of Denmark, additionally points out the fact that most of the grave goods found were associated with femininity, which lends credence to the idea that this class-based society could have been ruled by women. And Joanna Brooke, head of the School of Archaeology at University College Dublin, adds, quoting the Times, the assumption that elite women of this era were bartered brides exchanged as objects in networks of male power is ripe for reconsideration, end quote. Whether they were rulers or men and women simply ruled in different facets of life will remain to be seen, but I agree with the scholars that it's something we should at least question and consider, especially with evidence leaning one way, rather than make assumptions based on our own modern societal structures. Yesterday was National Potato Chip Day, but since there's no show on Sundays, I'm bringing it up now. And it's not like we need an extra excuse to eat potato chips anyways. In fact, if author Michael Moss's research is correct, we really don't need any excuse at all. Potato chips are one of the most addictive foods on Earth. Moss is the Pulitzer Prize-winning author of Salt, Sugar, Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us, and his new book, similarly titled Hooked, Food, Free Will, and How the Food Giants Exploit Our Addictions. It's a sequel of sorts focusing in on the ways the food giants manipulate the foods they make and our psyches to get us buying more. In a review of the new book, the New York Times compares potato chips to walnuts, inviting you to imagine putting a fresh bowl of each out on the table in front of you, trying the walnut first and taking in its many flavors, and then the potato chip, which is lacking in the complexity of flavor but so crispy and salty, making you want to eat more and more of them in a way you rarely would with walnuts. And not that this should be a measure of nutrition, but walnuts actually have 25% more fat per ounce than the average potato chip. So if that was the only metric that you cared about, eating the same amount of walnuts as potato chips would result in more fat gained from the walnuts. But apart from the fact that walnuts have all kinds of other health benefits, why don't they get a bad rap like potato chips? Because no one eats walnuts in the same quantities as potato chips. Or if they do, they're not doing so for the same reasons that someone eats potato chip after potato chip. I mean, no one ever said, once you pop, the fun don't stop about walnuts. Quoting the New York Times, Moss describes how foods can be engineered to trigger the brain's on switch, mostly the neurotransmitter dopamine, and inhibit its off switch, a region called the prefrontal cortex. These switches and the instincts that turn them on and off have deep evolutionary origins that likely helped our ancestors survive and thrive when food was scarce. 
And wow, are the hardwired instincts to eat these foods powerful, more so than those that push us toward addictive drugs like heroin and nicotine. Even seeing the pictures of certain foods can cause us to salivate. In unforgettable language, Moss describes how less than a second after you bite into a luscious chocolate or glazed donut, flavor sensations derived from a combination of sugar and fat, as well as other smells and tastes, hit your brain, interact with memories, and release a flood of neurotransmitters that stimulate and perpetuate fundamental cravings. It's sometimes said that for some of us, sugar is as addictive as cocaine, but from an evolutionary biological perspective, cocaine is actually as addictive as sugar, because it takes advantage of ancient mechanisms we inherited from our distant ancestors that helped them acquire rare but needed calories. To stay healthy in our current, modern food system, consumers have to overcome instincts and make choices over which we have little control. End quote. And that memory thing is huge. It's what drives a lot of seasonal tastes and purchasing power, like I mentioned last fall with regards to pumpkin spice, and how it's a uniquely American phenomenon in part due to our manufactured nostalgia for Thanksgiving pumpkin pie that dates back to the 19th century and has been multiplying on top of itself ever since. Quoting again, Multinational food companies, in gastro-Orwellian fashion, hook us by expertly tapping into our memories, introducing endless new varieties, and combining sensations and ingredients rarely seen together in nature, like sugar and fat, brittle and soft, sweet and salty, none of us are immune. According to Moss, big food is relentlessly and cynically striving to maximize their share of the stomach industry parlance for how much of the food we eat they can supply. Beyond hunting for genes that predispose us to particular cravings or quantifying exactly how much sugar our brains prefer, these corporate peddlers perniciously play with serving sizes on nutrition labels to deceive us into thinking we're making healthy choices. End quote. None of this is exactly news, but it's not exactly comforting to be reminded of either. We like to think we can make our own decisions when it comes to our personal health and nutrition. But how many decisions are being made for us long before those bags of chips arrive on the grocery store shelf for us to choose from? And to go full conspiracy, I wasn't able to ascertain the origins of National Potato Chip Day, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was covertly started by Frito-Lay in order to sell more chips. Not that they'll really ever have any trouble doing so. For anyone experiencing Zoom fatigue and willing to inject a little chaos into their lives, artist Sam Levine has created Zoom Escaper. He describes it as, quote, a tool to help you escape Zoom meetings and other telecommunication scenarios. It allows you to self-sabotage your audio stream, making your presence unbearable to others, end quote. To achieve that, you go to zoomescaper.com. You'll need to download one other piece of software called VB Cable in order to make it run seamlessly through Zoom or your preferred video conferencing platform. Levine's got a great how-to video to help you out, though, and you can sample the offerings before diving in. Now, on offer to make your call unbearable to others are distortion effects for echo and a choppy connection. You can also add sound effects including a crying baby, construction, wind, dogs, urination, and man weeping. You can also upload your own sound if you would like to. 
And you can adjust how loud each of those are as they play to others in the Zoom call, hopefully annoying them enough to dismiss you from the call, or understand if your connection suddenly drops altogether and doesn't return. Bummer. Levine has created a ton of digital art projects over the years, especially focusing on issues of privacy, surveillance, and criminal justice. He's got one that's a map of all the white-collar crime risk zones in neighborhoods across the U.S., and another that put physical product recommendation printouts in library books. He also created Zoom Deleter, which, quote, continually checks for the presence of Zoom on your computer, and if found, immediately deletes it, end quote. Like Zoom Escaper, it can also be used for any video conferencing software, not just Zoom. The Zoom projects are part of a whole Zoom series that Levine is doing as part of a digital artist residency with Welcome to My Homepage, so I'd keep your eyes peeled on his Twitter or welcometomyhomepage.net in case there's more coming. Link to those in the show notes. So on the March 4th episode of this show, I told you about the town of Husavik, Iceland. They've been campaigning for an Oscar for Best Original Song for the Netflix movie Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Now, the town Husavik was not involved in the production of that movie, but it is set in Husavik and features a ballad titled Husavik, My Hometown. So, naturally, the town has been vying for an Oscar for that song in hopes of raising awareness about their town and boosting tourism. And this morning, it was officially announced by the Academy that Husavik, the song, is officially nominated for an Oscar. Well done, Husavik. I'm very excited for them. Also, of note, yesterday, Kotki.org celebrated its 23rd birthday. That is quite a long time for a blog to be continuously running, so major props to Jason for keeping it going and for spreading joy and curiosity to all of us for over two decades. Can't wait to see what more is ahead. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.